This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, we just came out of a series called Renewal. Tonight, we're kicking off a new series called It Is Well. And I'm excited to be talking about the soul and particularly about caring for your soul. So for those of you that are taking notes, how many of you guys know that note takers are history makers? Come on, somebody. Take some notes tonight. Don't be lazy. Come on. Don't be apathetic. Pull out your smartphone. Get your notes app going. Come on, engage this stuff along with us tonight. But for those of you that are taking notes, the title of my message is Caring for Your Soul, Healthy Things Prosper. Healthy Things. And I want to begin tonight by talking about the soul. What is the soul? When we talk about the soul, oftentimes we think Socrates. We think the Greeks. We think the philosophers of the Western enlightened world. But I want to take us back a little bit further than that to ancient Hebrew thinking about the soul. Are you guys okay with that tonight? Can I be your usher and curator, and can you guys follow me on a little trip into the ancient Near East? We're going to look for some buried treasure together. We're going to do a little Indiana Jones adventure here. Hope you guys are ready. If you have your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to begin right there tonight. I'm going to break tradition and, and preach from the NIV after I just got done selling you on the ESV. But I like the rendering of this phrase, and it's important to us, because what we're doing tonight is we're establishing a foundation for what we're about to embark upon over the next eight to 10 weeks. So this is going to be a big series. And more than just a series, I believe God is wanting this to shape us as a people. And for some of you, this may not be new, but for some of you, it's going to completely revolutionize the way you think about the way God created you to to function and flourish in the earth. Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that man became a living being. The word here for living being is the word nefesh. Say it with me, nefesh. You're all instantly smarter than you were five minutes ago. You're welcome. The word nefesh is often what we translate the word soul from. So all throughout your Old Testament, Nine out of 10 times, or 900 out of, out of a 950 times, you're going to see this word nefesh, which is translated or transliterated into our English language as soul. And the definition is this, a living being to be alive, to breathe. It is close to the word for breath. The Bible says here in Genesis 2 that God breathed into humanity the breath of life. And that man, in this particular instance, Adam, became a living nefesh, a living soul. And I like this word nefesh. It's very close to another Hebrew word for breath, which is the word ruach. Say it with me, ruach. It's a great word, isn't it? If you go to Jerusalem, and I have been, they'll talk to you about the Ruach Kadosh, which is the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? In English, we we tend to be limited in our thinking around what words are available to us. And some words just don't translate directly and literally. I love that God, in his mind, saw fit to breathe his breath, 
his Ruach, the Ruach Kadosh, the Holy Spirit, into man, forming him from the dust of the earth. And the Bible says that as we have become formed and breathed into, we are a nefesh. We are a living soul. So the point I want to start with right off the bat today is you don't just have a soul. You are a soul. Some of you are like mind blown right now. And stay with me, okay? It's going to make sense as we move forward. The root of the word nefesh, according to most commentators, is this. To breathe, to be animated with life. I love that. And it's key to us understanding that we're not just people that have a soul. We are people that are a soul. We are an afesh. You are an afesh. I'm an afesh. Mariela is an afesh. You are a soul. You are a living, God-breathed nefesh. Now, as we see here in Genesis, you are made of body and you are made of spirit. Or as one writer says, dirt and deity. I like that. You have been breathed into by God and you are a living being full of body, material body, and immaterial spirit. Are you following me? Are you tracking with me? Okay. David writes about this in Psalm 139. He says that we are designed intricately, knit together even, woven together by God's design. Psalm 139, verse 13, for you form my inward parts and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. How many are thankful for mom? We love mom. And David goes on to say, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God brought you together in his divine intelligence, in his mind, to be fearfully and wonderfully made. And he goes on to say, wonderful are your works, O Lord. My soul, my nefesh knows it very well. Your whole being radiates and resonates with the fact that God has breathed his life into you. That's why in Proverbs it says, only the fool says in his heart there is no God. If you break us down to a subatomic micro level, if you want to go that deep, we are dirt and deity. We are body and spirit. But together, holistically, we're a nefesh, a soul. Now, I think this is crucial for us to understand if we're going to have a biblical worldview. There are other worldviews out there that look differently upon your body, that look differently upon your soul. Under Greek philosophy, we see later that the concept of the soul was separated from the body. But in Hebrew thinking, in Hebrew mind, they are one and the same. They are interconnected. They are woven together by God's design. Under Greek influence like Socrates and those we've mentioned, the, the soul is separated from the body and the body is then viewed as a prison in need of escape. Uh, we see this later in the emergence of the teachings of Gnosticism. The Gnostics came along with this view that the body was evil and that it was something that needed to be rid of. But this is so contrary, you guys, to what we see in the scriptures. God loves your body. God made your body. And one day Christ is coming and he's going to resurrect your body and transform it in glory. That's the expectation we have. As Christians, we're not divorced from our body, which means that everything we do in the body matters. It matters what happens in us. It matters what happens all around us. Why? Because we are a living nefesh, body and spirit. We are a soul. And everything that happens to us matters. Are you with me? Now, this might seem controversial to some people, but God made you as a living soul 
And this includes everything about you, including your body. So you're made of material body, right? That you can touch, that we can feel, and immaterial spirit, the breath of life, God's spirit. In addition to being a nefesh, in addition to being a living soul, God has given us a conscious self and a subconscious self. Sometimes people refer to this as the conscious mind or the subconscious mind, if you will. Uh, Your conscious mind or your conscious self is the part of you that's thinking right now. It's interpreting what I'm saying. It's reflecting on my words. But there's also the subconscious part of you that isn't necessarily engaged in what I'm saying. It's doing other things. It's running other functions within your body. Let me give you an example. You sit down to read a book, okay? And you are engaged in the material. You start thinking about it. You start reading the words out loud. You're engaging, you're thinking. Your conscious self is engaged. But then you put the book down and you jump in your car, in my case, your truck, and you drive off to work and all of a sudden, you're making turns without thinking about them. You're engaging the gas pedal. You're stopping at red lights. You're merging with oncoming traffic, all the while still thinking about that book, right? What's happening here? Your conscious and subconscious self are both at work. They're both engaged. By way of analogy, we see this in our lives. There are things going on in us and all around us that we are aware of, hopefully, And then there are things that are going on in us and around us that we are completely oblivious to. As it pertains to our soul, including the way that we express our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, much of what we experience in life actually happens within the realm of the subconscious, within the realm that we're not necessarily engaged in or even aware of. You've heard the saying, more is caught than taught. Anybody ever hear that before? What that means is that your subconscious self is receiving information faster than your conscious mind is able to interpret and translate it. So there's more happening beneath the surface of your life than just on what is happening on top of it. That's why 65% of you in this room are visual learners. Because your subconscious self or mind is able to receive and process things faster than your literal engaged conscious mind is able to interpret and learn them. So back to my analogy, let's say you're driving the car and you're still thinking about that book, but then you don't notice that two cars ahead of you have stopped and you crash right into them. What has happened here? You have over relied upon your subconscious self to make decisions for you that your mind was not aware of, right? You didn't know you weren't thinking because you were still thinking about the book. Man, I love that. I wonder what's going to happen in the next chapter. All right? I wonder what's going to happen next. And bam! So I want to say to us, by way of example here, that we have to be careful not to over-rely upon what happens in our subconscious. It can be dangerous in the same way that it's dangerous to enter into traffic and not pay attention to what's going on. It can be super dangerous to over-rely upon your subconscious self and not pay attention to what's going on in your soul. Are you with me? Throughout the series, we're going to look at what it means to engage, to lean in, to wake up, to become aware of what's happening in our souls. And and we're going to do this to develop a healthy inner life. That's what we're after. The term that I'm going to use throughout our series is emotionally healthy spirituality. 
It's not a term that I've coined or, or developed. It actually comes from Pete Scazzaro's masterful work. Get this, emotionally healthy spirituality. Pete's a pastor out of New York that I've been following for some years now who hit a wall 20 years into his ministry. Things are going great. Big church, thousands of people. People's lives are being changed, salvations, people being discipled, people being sent out, to mission, uh, sent out on mission to, to the nations. By all extent and purposes, everything looked good on the surface of Pete's life. But under the surface, things were beginning to crack. And one day, his wife decided to quit the church. <laughs> she said, I am done with this, Peter. And that came as a shock to him because in his mind, everything was good. Well, this led Peter on a journey of self-discovery and beginning to learn how to care for his soul and to ask the tough questions about what's going on deeper than the surface of our lives. You see, the temptation for us, if we're not careful, is to come together in a setting like this and to do so weekly, but go an inch deep and a mile wide, right? What do I mean? I mean, you can jump up and down and sing songs for Jesus. Come on, you can preach the word. You can go forth and even do mighty works in God's name and still have a shallow emotional life or a shallow spirituality because there are things that haven't been addressed within your own soul. I might be preaching to myself tonight. Come on, I think every one of us is right there. We're right there right now. And this is a sensitive time within the body of Christ. COVID-19 has been the great revealer of things that were already awry. They didn't really cause anything to go wrong in us. It just revealed where we were all at already, subconsciously, that we were not aware of. People that got divorced during COVID already had marital problems happening. COVID just exacerbated or revealed what was already going on in their life. Some of you know some of the people I'm talking about. COVID-19 didn't, didn't uh, show you that you have a problem with depression. Come on, it just highlighted it. COVID-19 didn't, didn't create these issues that were already present within our soul. They just, it just highlighted it. It amplified the need for us to look at them. And to stare in the mirror. And in the same way, Peter, Pastor Peter Scazzaro, came to that place in his life where he realized that he couldn't have a mature spirituality. He couldn't be mature in Christ and still be immature or emotionally shallow. And we see this all the time, don't we? When great men and women that we admire fall within our communities, within our own faith communities, when people that we thought had it all together didn't. Come on, preachers and pastors and leaders and writers and authors. and I mean, just fill in the blank. You guys, we've, every generation has their own heroes that fall. And I'm thinking about Ravi Zacharias. I'm thinking about others like Carl Lentz. And I'm thinking about people like Israel Houghton. I'm thinking about people that I know that I have personally had a relationship with who are living another life, who are living a double life. And we go, How? How does this happen? I'll tell you how. By not paying attention to what's going on in your soul. By suppressing it, by pushing it down, by discarding it, by not dealing with it. We say things like, we're going to get to that later when we have time. And then we never do. And the problem compounds and compounds and compounds until eventually it explodes. Jesus says, your sin will find you out. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. 
Even what you think is your closet little pet sin that no one knows about is eventually going to be shouted from the rooftops. It's in your Bible. So what is it that God wants for the body of Christ in 2021? Is it more miracle crusades? Is it more healings? Is it more salvations? Is it, is it more meetings? Is it, is it more of the stuff that we tend to think God wants us to be about? Or is it about finding health in Christ Jesus and developing roots in Christ Jesus that allow us to dig down into the vine and abide in him so that his words may abide in us and we might bear forth more fruit. Well, I think the answer is obvious. The temptation for us is to move fast when what God's calling us to do is to slow down. And so I'm going to use terms like slow down spirituality. I'm going to use terms like rest. I'm going to use terms like health and wellness. I'm going to use terms like Sabbath to describe some of the things that God wants us to develop a rhythm for. Every generation has a script that they hand the next generation. That generation can either receive it or reject it. The problem is, is starting about 10 to 20 years ago, people stopped handing people scripts. And as a result, we're crumbling. As a nation, we're, cr- we're divided, we're unhealthy. Prescription medicine is at an all-time high. Antidepressants are at an all-time high. We're so connected online and yet so not connected in community. And that is because we have either A, not received, or B, we have rejected the script that was intended to be passed to us. I believe that part of our mandate as a church is to hand the next generation a script that is healthy, a script that says, this is how you walk through marriage. This is how you parent. This is how you live your life. This is what God's word says about it, even though it's not popular. Even though right now, many people are, are, are putting the scriptures aside and they're turning to self-help gurus and practitioners and people to help them with the problems that only the word of God is going to be able to address. And so throughout this series, I want to make it our aim to go to the scriptures, to find ourselves grounded in something that's eternal, something that's lasting, something that's permanent, something that's going to bring forth health in our lives. What I'm really trying to say is I'm going to give you the permission to get real. Take off your mask and let people into your life. And I'm going to do it in front of you. And if that's all right with you, maybe you'll have the courage to turn around and do it with somebody else. Does that sound good? Okay, we're going to do it anyways. You'll hear me refer to these terms and you'll, 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 heal, you'll hear me in this series lay the foundation for things that we're going to come back around again. And like a pole that kind of spirals, we'll be at a different place, but we'll be returning to it from a different place of maturity all throughout these eight to ten weeks. Tonight what I want to do is set the foundation for things that I believe we have to have settled in our hearts before we can receive anything else that God wants to do within our souls. Are you with me? Okay, I'm glad that you are. Some of you guys might be wondering, like, why are we doing this deep dive into soul care? Like, why, Jason? Like, wouldn't it be just better to do something else? Well, I've sensed, really, within the last three to four years that this moment for the church was coming. 
I didn't know a pandemic was going to happen. I didn't know people were going to lose their minds. I didn't know, you know, like all of us, like none of us could have really seen the way this all played out. But I knew before we even got to Utah that, that the church was on a collision course and that if we didn't learn how to become rooted and healthy, that we were going to spin and spiral out of control. And that's what we're seeing in our culture right now. We see this in our world. We see this all around us. So tonight I want to go to God's word. And I want to find out what the Lord has to say about our soul and why it's important that we care for it. If you have your Bibles, go with me to 3 John or 3 John chapter 1 verse 2. And I am going to be reading from the ESV. It says this, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. You guys, as we embark upon this journey together, I want us to drill down into these words. I want us to come back to them. I want these words to echo around in the chambers of your soul over and over and over and over again because I believe that these words are God-inspired and God-breathed in the same way that our souls are. And I believe God wants us to grab a hold of them as a personal response to his divine invitation to experience a more fruitful and healthy life. I wonder if anybody is with me tonight. I love that John begins his prayer and his address here with the words, beloved. And I want to start right there. Before you do anything for God, before you minister in his name, before you gather together with others to pray and worship and read your Bible and feed the poor, you need to know this. You are loved. You, Gary, are loved. You, Jan, are loved. You, Jeff, are loved. And you're loved by God. In other words, you are his beloved. So number one today, God wants you to be loved. He wants you to be loved. You are beloved by God, not just because of the great things that you do for him, but because you are his creation. He loves you. Because you are made in his image and likeness. He loves you. Because you are loved by God, then maybe you might learn how to just love like he does. The reality that you are beloved, that you are his beloved, has to be the most important thing about you. The problem is we are so sin conscious and so not righteousness aware that we have a hard time believing this about ourselves. We were handed the script that God hates us or that he's not interested in us or that you are a screw up and that you're not worthy of his love and time and affection. And those things could not be any more false. Jesus went to the cross and laid on his life because he saw you as worthy of pursuit. In the same way that the father goes after the one sheep that's lost, he sees value in what is lost, in what is dead, in what is broken, in what is distorted, in what is in need of repair. And guess what, guys? That's all of us in this room. That's all of us. And because God sees value in you, Chrissy, not because you do great works and exploits in his name, but because you are loved by God, then your life and our life can become centered, rooted in, established, built up in this love. 
to really emphasize this point, being loved by God needs to become the primary identity that everything flows from, including, are you ready for it? Our doing. You are a living being, not a living doing. For you workaholics out there, that is a really hard message to believe. Yes, you were created to work. Yes, you were created to do stuff on purpose. But you're a living being first. You're nefesh. You're a God-breathed, God-loved soul. That's what you are. And as a church, if we don't have that, if we don't have the, the foundation of that right, it doesn't matter what we build on it. It's going to crumble. It's kind of like to mix the metaphors here. It's kind of like starting with your shirt when you go to button it up in the morning, for those of you that wear button-ups. I'll take Jonathan, for example. He's got a nice-looking button-up on right now. If you start with the wrong hole and the wrong button and you button the rest, it's going to be all misaligned, isn't it? And that's how our lives are if we're not first established in this, that we are his beloved, that we are the beloved. We are the beloved of God. God loves us. And we know that in theory, I think. But I believe God wants us to get on with practicing it, with permitting ourselves to be loved the way that God wants us to be loved. This is important. And we see it in the life of Jesus. Before Jesus raised the, the dead, before Jesus healed the sick, before Jesus did ministry in his Father's name, before he cast out devils, before he did anything, the Father was already pleased with him. And he was already the beloved of God. Don't believe me? Let's go to Matthew 3. Verse 16, it says this, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he, sent, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, the Ruach Kadosh, descending like a dove, and it came and it rested on his life, on him. And behold, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved. Here he is. This is my beloved son. And guess what? I'm really pleased with him. You guys, this happened before Jesus did anything else. This happened before he was out in the desert being tempted by the devil. This is the very first thing that God affirms in Christ, that he is loved. And this has to be the first thing that becomes affirmed and confirmed in our life, that we are the beloved of God. Before we run out into the world to tell them all about Jesus, we need to tell them how much they're loved. And I, I fear sometimes that that message gets lost in our passion to make disciples or in our passion to win people. I'm afraid that sometimes we don't care for them as living souls. We don't see them the way God sees them. And as a result, we end up rushing past things that God doesn't want us to rush past. This is my beloved, God says to Jesus, acknowledging their relationship, confirming Jesus' identity, and in the same way today, as the sons and daughters of God, as children of God, we are his beloved. Which means that we are loved like Jesus is loved. Friends, this kind of love that we're talking about, it's not an easy love. It's not a fictitious love. It's not a fairy tale love. Come on, it's a sacrificial love. It's a costly love. It's a love that endures all things, bears all things. It's the love of the Father that he gave his son to be bruised and crushed under Roman rule at the hands of people who mercilessly tortured him and killed him and nailed his body and his soul as an to that cross. 
That's how much God loves us. That's the heartbeat of God. And in order to begin to scratch the surface of what it looks like to have an emotionally healthy soul or an emotionally healthy spirituality, we have to know. We have to have it settled in us that God loves us. And I don't mean just in theory, I mean in practice. We have to allow ourselves to be, if I can use the word, penetrated and transformed by this crazy, radical love. It means that God has to redefine some, some things for us as a church. He has to redefine some stuff in our life. One of the things that I think needs redefining is the way that we receive and give love. Can we talk about this for a moment? See, for many of us, we don't know how to receive love, and it feels foreign to us when God or people try to love us. We don't really know what to do with that. For many of us, we don't know how to receive love because we don't understand the way that God created our souls or hardwired us to receive it. If you've never read the book Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman, I would encourage you to start right there. It is a fantastic work. And in Gary's book, he suggests that there are five common ways, there may be more, but there are five essentially common ways that we receive and give love. Here they are. Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. Can I read those again for those taking notes? Words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, and physical touch. So I want to say this. The best way to care for your soul is to understand the way that you were designed by God to receive and give love. And we see this best play out in the context of relationships. For example, Candace, her love language is very much quality time and receiving gifts. Anybody love receiving gifts out there? Any gift receivers? Yeah, a few of you. How many of you enjoy quality time? Okay, my love language is none of those things. My love language is very much words of affirmation. I mean, is that a big surprise? Words of affirmation and physical touch. No big surprise there, right guys? Okay, so we're very different. Candace and I are very different in the way that we both receive and give love. But you know what we tend to do? We tend to love the way that we are hardwired to receive it. So early in our marriage, I tried to love Candace the way that I wanted to be loved. So I would try to encourage her with words of affirmation, practice physical touch. And not that any of those things are, are not valued. Of course, she appreciates them like we all would. But that's not the way she's hardwired by God to receive and give love. And in the same way, she would run out early in our relationship and buy me things and try to shower me with gifts as a way of showing her love. And I could care less. I'm like, do not buy me anything. I don't need anything. I got one pair of shoes, some jeans, and a shirt. I'm great. It's not true. I've got a lot of shoes. Kind of a shoe guy. But I didn't need to be loved in that way. I didn't need her to give me gifts to be nurtured and cared for. So what happens is in love, and in particularly in relationships, we try to love people the way that we're hardwired to receive it. So we go out and we do things that we want them to do for us. Guys, it's like you getting your wife power tools on Christmas. And she opens it up and she's like, uh, gee, thanks. And you're all excited. Like, yeah, do you like that? She's like, no. No, it's not what I like at all. And if that is you, please forgive me. I'm not trying to, to, to create any stereotypes here, okay? Everybody's in a different place these days, so I'm not even trying to stereotype. But early in our marriage, we, things weren't working because we were trying to love each other the way we wanted to be loved. 
the way that we were hard hardwired in our souls by God to be loved. So our wires were getting tangled, right? And so what's the worst thing that happens? You try to love somebody and they don't receive it. And you're all pushed out of shape. You're all kind of bent and mad and kind of upset. Like, why didn't, why didn't they receive my, my love? Why didn't they receive that gift? Why didn't, like, I worked really hard. I went through all the things and I did all that. And then in the same instance, I'm over here going, why, why, doesn't, she, why doesn't she respond to the things that I'm saying? And I'm trying to be encouraged, right? Because we're trying to love the way that we want to be loved. This is important because we typically try to love others the way that we want to be loved. And then we're disappointed when things don't work out. But the truth is this. We have to learn to speak the language that they can hear. Can I say it again? We have to learn to speak the love language that they can actually hear. And this flows into every area of our life, not just relationships. That's why I love being around encouraging people because they naturally tend to affirm and build up. That's why some of you who love receiving gifts like to be around generous people because they tend to pay for your lunch and pick up the tab at dinner. <laughs> These things affect every area of our life and soul, and that's the point I'm trying to make. In the same way, God wants you to experience what it means to be fully known and fully loved. And here's the good news about the Lord. He is a master at speaking our love language. He knows exactly how to speak in a way that we can hear, interpret, and receive that nurtures and cares for our nefesh, our soul. A big part of our challenge is learning to recognize what that language is. It's becoming aware. It's moving from subconscious to conscious self to engagement, to learning how to embrace the Father's love in the way that he wants us to experience it. So number one, God wants you to be loved. He wants you to experience and receive love the way that you were created by him too. In the next part of this verse, John shifts from addressing identity rooted in love to addressing the wellness of the soul. He says this, verse two, beloved, I pray, and here it is, that all may go well with you. I like the new King James version. It says it this way, that you may prosper in all things. Do you guys know that it's actually God's goal for your life to prosper? I know prosperity gets a bad rap because a few preachers and teachers have distorted that to mean just material wealth. But did you actually know that God's intention for your whole soul, for your living being, is to prosper? It's to flourish. It's to be well. Here it is, right here in the ESV. I pray that all may go well with you. And I like the way the NKGV says it because it places an emphasis upon the word all things. Now, contextually speaking, John is writing this to a person. Okay, he's writing it to the elder of his church. The guy's name is Gaius. Great name. And he's a close friend, and he's a beloved confidant of John's, and he's a leader in the church. So John's address and his tone and the specificity of the words that he's using here really, really matter. They're important. And notice that John doesn't pray that Gaius would prosper in some things. He prays that all things would go well with him, which I believe is still the heartbeat of God for us, that all may go well with your soul. So number two today, God wants all things to go well with you and with me. You see, when we understand that this is God's heart, it eliminates the fear of believing that everything that can go wrong will go wrong. What do they call that? Murphy's Law. There's a law above Murphy's Law. And it's God's law of love. And it's his heart that things would go well with you. 
And when you know this, and when you become rooted in this, and this becomes not just another clever bumper sticker that we put on our cars or a clever shirt that we wear, when you know this experientially down in your heart, in the soul of who you are, it changes everything. Because you can be secure in knowing that God's purpose for you is to prosper, is to flourish. There's no uncertainty around God's intention for you to live a prosperous life, to flourish, to be in health, for things to go well with you. And what that does is it frees you to be able to dream again. It frees you to get your hopes up again. There's a fate worse than death, and it's this, living with no hope. And knowing that you're loved by God and knowing that he wants you to prosper means that you can believe God for the best. You can believe him for the best possible outcome in any situation that you're facing. It means God wants you to get your hopes up and to get your dreams going and to believe again. For some of you, you were told, don't get your hopes up. Set the bar low, right? And you'll never be disappointed. I think I saw somebody's Twitter bio that said that. Aim high and live a great life or set the bar really low and never be disappointed. Isn't that sad, though? That we would, that we would actually allow ourselves to believe that, well, this is as good as it's going to get. Guys, I don't believe this is as good as it's going to get for this church. I believe God has great things in store for us. They may not happen at the speed or the rate or acceleration that we want them to, but I believe that if we can abide and abound in Christ Jesus... Come on, we're going to see eternity shaken by what you guys get to do and be a part of in Courageous Church. And I'm excited about that. So God wants all things to go well with us. And number three today, he wants us to be healthy. 3 John 1, 2, once more. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. You see, in the same way that God designed you and intricately knit you together, he's created your life in him. He's purposed and intended for your life in him to be healthy. As we talked about last week, fruitfulness or a life of fruitfulness only comes from abiding in Jesus. Jesus is the true vine. He's the one that we have to be deeply interconnected to and woven together with. And here's what happens. What happens in the vine is supposed to flow out to the branches, right? We talked about this last week. And because the vine is healthy, you and I can be healthy as well. In the same way, I believe a healthy life is one that derives from a healthy source. How's your source, guys? What are you plugged into? What are you connecting with? What is your rhythm of daily connecting with God? We've talked a lot about prayer over the last two months. Actually, over the last year, I went back and looked at the messages, and most all of them had to do with prayer in some way. I believe that if we're connected to a healthy source, we're going to have a healthy life. And a part of the way that we do that is through prayer, is through reading God's word, is through silence and solace and Sabbath and rest, and through these other practices that are just not necessarily getting the attention they deserve within the body of Christ. And I believe God wants to restore that. Health or wellness, as we've come to understand it, is not just about your diet and what you look like in front of the mirror. Okay, health and wellness is deeper than that. It penetrates every area of your soul, of your nefesh. So if one part of you is hurting, guess what? Chances are other parts of you are going to start hurting. Because when one part of your body begins to hurt, other parts of your body begin to compensate for it. I'll use my little bulldog as an example. Sadly, when we first got her, she fell down the stairs and broke her arm. 
And it was very sad, and I had to spend my entire Thanksgiving, the first year we were in Utah, in the emergency room caring for my dog. And as a result of the surgery that she got, because she fell down the stairs and broke her arm, she has a little limp. And what has happened now is that she's transferred weight off of the limp onto her other arm. And now her other arms are starting to hurt. And she's having joint problems because she's carrying the load and the weight and strain and stress because of what happened with this arm. And in the same way, that's kind of what our lives look like when things are out of whack. We start other parts of our soul, other parts of our body, other parts of who we are start to suffer when other things begin to suffer. But that's not what we think. We think, oh, we can just like put that aside, like no big deal. I'll just keep that in the closet over here. No one will ever know. And that couldn't be further from the truth. In his book, The Emotional Healthy Leader, Pete makes this bold claim. It's not possible to be spiritually healthy or mature while remaining emotionally immature. You see, when we talk about health, we have to deal with our maturity. We have to deal with our maturity or even the lack thereof because ultimately it's God's heart that we would learn how to grow up in health in him. And there is actually a standard for our lives. Ephesians 4 verse 13 and the NLT says it this way. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to, here it is, the full and complete standard of Christ. Friends, there is a full and complete standard for your life. And you want to know what it is? It's Jesus. Jesus is the full and complete standard for our life. That's why he would go on to say through his Holy Spirit, speaking from John to his beloved friend, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Jesus wants every part of your soul to be well, to be healthy. And in closing, the reason we've named this series It Is Well is because I absolutely am committed to the idea that God wants things to be well with our souls. And I'm not just talking about your eternity, okay? I'm talking about right now, you as a living being, as a nefesh. How are you? How are your emotions? How are you dealing with these feelings? The, the, the byproduct of a nasty year of political conflict and pandemics and shutdowns and quarantine. How are you guys? I know the answer. It's rhetorical because I spend time with a lot of you. But I want you to ask yourself, how are you? How are you doing, really? Have you been putting on a mask and coming to church and just pretending like everything's okay? Because if you have, and that's not really the case, please don't spend another moment without talking to me or talking to Pastor Candace, or approaching any of our team. Because we as a church care. We care about what happens in your soul. We're not just here to sing a bunch of songs, hear a jazzed up message and go home. We're here because we're trying to live this thing out in community. And we recognize there are so many other things that we could be doing right now. So many things in competition for our soul. Part of my heart as your pastor is to say, how is your soul? How can we care for your soul? How can we help your soul? How can we help you flourish and prosper and be in health? And if you're not, we want to help you. We want that to be the commitment we make as a church. Some of you have been to churches where no one even knows your name. Guys, we got to get beyond the fancy show and the entertainment and the lights and the fog machines. 
we got to get back to being an Acts 2 church where we understand what's going on in the life of our friends because we care. That's why I love that after service is over, most of you are here for another hour or two. <laughs> I think it's awesome. And I'm thankful that God has given us this place. We couldn't do that in the theater. We had to rush to get out of there. Remember that? For those of you that were with us then? We had to break everything down and get out. I just like, man, I hate that. God wants us to slow down and to pay attention and to lean in. Hey, how can we pray for you? Hey, what's going on? Not just, oh, yeah, things are good, when really things inside are crumbling. And for some of you, you've faced a lot of those crumbling type situations this year, as I have. There are many moments where I was like, God, I don't know if I can continue to do this. This is, this is hard. I, like, I, need, I need to be around people. Like this whole like sitting in my house, like live streaming thing, ain't on that guy, cut it. You know what I'm saying? The novelty of that wore off real quick. Faded real fast. I say all this in closing because, and this is a long close, but I'm a preacher and that's what we typically do. I say all this because deep down, guys, I just want you guys to know we really care about you. Like when Candace and I get together with, with our team and with each other to pray for you, like we really pray for you. We lift you up to the Father. We take you before the throne of God. And we're not just like, hey, God, that you just like chuck some money in their bank account. We're like, we like really pray into specific things that the Lord speaks to us about. Some of you guys don't think I know what's going on in your life. I do. Some of you guys put it out there on Instagram, so I really know what's going on. <laughs> or Facebook. But I really want you guys to know we care about you. Like this is, we're not doing this to, to seek some sort of like eternal reward. We're doing this because this is the way God created us and called us. He hardwired us to care. And we want to be a church that cares. We want a church that says, you know what, we're going to go, we're going to do the hard work of digging in when others are not really ready for things to get so messy. Listen, guys, it's going to get messier. If we're going to reach this community, it's going to get a little messy. And you know what? God's okay with the mess. He tabernacles in the midst of the camp because he's not put off by their mess. He's not put off by their sin. He really isn't. The narrative of God from Old Testament to New is God with us, his presence. He put his presence right in the middle of the people's camp, and they were pretty sinful. They made idols one moment, praised him the next, made idols the next moment, praised him the next. So God's not intimidated by our mess. He's not intimidated by the mistakes that we make or are going to make. And I'm going to make a few, and you're going to make a few. But together, maybe, maybe we just might dare to be something that looks a little different that talks a little different, that walks a little different, that's interested in things that are a little different, maybe we can go a little deeper than just surface-level Christianity this year. Maybe we can press into things that will really produce health and allow us to flourish as the people of God. I wonder if that's your heart tonight. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.